Welcome to the Preserving Family podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. We're glad you're with us on this podcast today. The topic that we're going to talk about, we feel, is really crucial. It's something that's dear to our heart. It's something I deal with a lot in my counseling practice. It's something I deal with in my ecclesiastical work and my students at BYU. It's something we talk about all the time. And it's the idea of how do you recognize what I call red flags or like warning signs in relationships, especially in premarital relationships. You know, what tools can we equip our young people with so that they can be on the lookout for some things that could be really concerning down the road? Yeah, as we talked about this topic, we felt like this was a really important topic, especially for our young single adults, those that are in that marrying age or even teenagers in that dating age. But we also felt like it's a really important topic for parents that are dealing with children of that age that are, that are dating, that are, you know, in that, that age range that they can help guide them and help them see these red flags to prevent then all the mess that happens after the repair or divorces, things like that. Yeah. You know, and probably because I've seen this so much in my private practice, you know, I've probably been more on the alert, I guess, you know, I've been a little bit more nervous and, but also more willing to be open and expressive with our children. Right. So as our eight children, we're going through this process. We still have one that's not married, but we have seven that are married that have gone through this and dated many, many people and brought home many people. And right. And so I think we've been very open in our house about talking about the good and the bad and the, the tra- positive traits they've seen and the negative things that they've Some seen. Some of the concerns. And, yeah. Yeah. And so, and again, probably because of your counseling and, you know, I think we kind of maybe over shared with them. I don't know if that's possible, but we definitely talked a lot about, you know, oh, these are red flags or no, these are great traits. And so. And I know, I know some people struggle with that, right? I think some parents struggle with saying anything. To their adult children. Yeah. I think that they're, they're afraid or they don't have that relationship intact, or maybe they just feel like it's not their business or that, oh, well, it's their choice who they marry. But I, I'm familiar with a family that has several children, and I know those parents never said a word to any of their kids. Their kids would show up and say, oh, hey, we got engaged mm-hmm. last night, and they would just be like, oh, okay, when's the wedding? And of these several children, there's only a couple that have survived. The rest have all been divorced, you know, and I, and I just think that's so tragic that the parents didn't you know, have any input. Not that we have a lot of say because we're here to guide and help direct us. That's a whole different topic with our adult children. Right. But I think having that open dialogue in your home, you know, I know as teenagers, we would point things out to our children, you know, when they were dating as teenagers or... That was a great time to do that. Or even stories that you would hear, you would come home and teach our kids, don't ever marry someone like this. Or, hey, you (laughs) should marry someone like this because it's awesome, you know. And so I just... I don't know. I'm a firm believer in open communication in the home, and that's how we teach our children. Right. I'm reminded of an experience I had a few years ago um, where I was meeting with a couple, 
and uh, it was their one of their first dates, and they end up going over to her house because she lives here locally. And you want to make a good first impression, but he didn't. You know, he ends up getting in a fight with the dad and the brothers in the backyard in a basketball game. And you would think on the that first that, date, <laughs> yeah, on the first date, right? And you would think that that would be enough right there that uh, that may end the relationship. But in the in the and the parents did express their concerns, but they ended up marrying anyway. And unfortunately, within about a year, they were divorced. And so this is a reminder in my mind also that the responsibility doesn't just lie on parents, right? That the that that young single adults, those who are preparing for marriage, that they too have a responsibility to be able to make judgments. And that's a that's an interesting word today. That I think with this generation, they're afraid to judge. That's a that's a taboo word right now. They nobody wants to make any judgments or feel judgy or you know they're like oh it's no it's not my place to judge. When I think the scriptures teach us actually the exact opposite. In fact, yes, maybe one of the most misinterpreted scriptures of all is right in the Sermon on the Mount, you know where Jesus says, "Judge not that ye be not judged." But I love that change in the Joseph Smith translation. Judge not unrighteously that you be not judged, but judge righteous judgments. In fact, I looked up the Greek word a little while ago for that word judgment, and really what the word suggests is making decisions. And we all have to make decisions. We have to make we have to make choices. And we make thousands of decisions every day, right? right? I mean, from what we eat to what we wear to where we go to, I mean, everything. So when people say, oh, I shouldn't judge, that's just such a false premise because we make judgments all day long. And we need to, right? We need to make judgments. And especially in our LDS culture where the, the, the who you marry is probably one of the most significant and largest decisions you'll ever make in this life. You know, who we marry impacts every single thing in our life. I think it impacts our spirituality. It impacts our mental health. It impacts our physical health. It certainly impacts our happiness and our joy in life. It is a big, big deal. Now, in terms of history of how this topic came up for us is we've watched this over the years, you know, with different family members, extended family and our immediate family. And over the years, we've kept a list. We've kind of made our own list. And I share that with our students at BYU in terms of some of these red flags that we've identified. But then this summer, we had a great opportunity to sit and visit with our own nieces and nephews and even a couple of our children. And just... And some other college kids that were there. Right. A group of... Yeah, yeah. we had a great little focus group, if you want to say it that way. (laughs) And we just sat around the table on a houseboat. I'll never forget it. And I just took notes as they talked, and they shared some really awesome, significant red flags. And that's what we want to talk about today is what some of those red flags are. We're going to share some of our experiences and... Try to try to give parents and young single adults some tools so that we can make wise choices. So we've kind of put the all the red flags into different categories. And the first one that we're going to talk about is family relationships. So we think it's so important that when you are introducing a boyfriend or girlfriend to your family, you really need to watch how they interact. Do they get along with your parents? Can they talk to them? Do they get along with your siblings? You know, do they... They try to associate. Do they try to learn names and figure out, you know, who belongs to who? Maybe with the extended family. Um, do they do they you know complain about 
spending time with your family. Yeah, exactly. Just like the story you told about the kid who, you know, the very first time he meets the family, he went in and <laughs> gets in a fight with him. Gets in a fight. That's probably not a good sign. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, somebody one of our daughters dated and they, mm. she brought him to a, a big extended family event. And we have a huge family. And as he was introduced to a lot of people, he just goes, kind of threw up his hands and was like, ugh, there's too many people. I don't care. <laughs> and he just kind of went off in the court and played yeah. on his phone. And we were immediately like, oh, this is not good. Maybe not a That's good That's kind of a red yeah. flag. But then on the flip side, I think it's really important that when you go meet your boyfriend or girlfriend's family, that you see how they interact with their own parents and their own siblings and their own extended family you know, do they have a loving relationship? Do they get along? Does he treat his mom well? Does she get along with her mom and dad? And, you know, you just watch for those things, good or bad. I've, You know, I've, as we've watched our own children, one of the things I've enjoyed watching with our uh, in-law children who are now like children to us, but I love watching them just jump in, you know, just jump in and interact with the family, have fun with each other, spend time together, laugh with us, work with us. And I think those are all positive traits to be looking for as well when it comes to family relationships. Yeah, Let's... and we do feel very blessed, the the kids that have married our kids, because their families are awesome. You know, that they you can tell that they've all come from great families, very loving relationships. And I know that doesn't always happen, but we feel very blessed. Right. So the second category our focus group came up with is just how do they treat other people? You know, and there's all kinds of levels of that. I mean, this is everything from how they treat the waitress at the restaurant, to how they treat neighbors and friends, you know, are they service oriented? Do they like to help people? Are they critical of other people and call people names, you know, and say bad things about those around them? So you're, I think you're just looking for, for those type of things. I remember just recently talking to um, a BYU student and I said, just tell me what you're impressed about with this guy that you're dating. She was a friend and I could talk to her that way. And she said, I love how he helps people. I love how he treats other people. I think that's a great thing to look for. So category three, we've kind of put into a category of toxic behaviors. Mm. So things that are really extreme, um, verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, even spiritual abuse. Right. And sadly today, it's on the rise. It's becoming more prevalent, right? To notice these toxic behaviors. Narcissism is huge now. Yeah, just even selfishness, those kind of really drastic behaviors. Um, sadly, years ago, somebody that was close to us was in a relationship like this, and her fiance was so controlling and so manipulative Possessive, in every way yeah. that he would not even allow her to use her talents, not let her even talk to somebody of the opposite sex. He wouldn't let her give talks in church. He wouldn't let her sing in church. He wouldn't even let her wear makeup. I mean, it got to the point that it was pretty extreme. Mm. And I think it was like the frog in the boiling pot of water where it was just such a slow process that all of a sudden she woke up and realized, whoa, I'm in an abusive relationship. And it was a really hard process to get out of, you know, for her because she was so enmeshed and, and everybody around her was aware and right. so that was one of my, going to be one of my points is if you have people around you telling you, oh, you'd be, you know, beware of this or, oh, this, or... I'm worried about that or, oh, I don't like that about that. Listen, because I think that's very telling. Yes. And I think other signs to look for is just, can they admit when they're wrong? You know, can they apologize? Can they initiate apologies? Uh, can they show empathy? 
Um, anyway, just things like that, that that people just need to be aware of because those behaviors, those toxic and manipulative behaviors are hard to change. So another category that our focus group uh, came up with was just, I guess we could call it social IQ. You know, but the idea is how how socially healthy are they and are they aware of those around them? You know, we had a daughter a few years ago that came home. We said, how was your date? And she said, I guess it was great. She said, I, I know everything about him, but he didn't ask me one question. And so are they, are they socially aware and socially in tune? Uh, do they listen and can they listen? Do they interrupt others while they're talking? Do they make inappropriate comments or comments out of context? Are you embarrassed to take them places, right? We've had a few of our kids date people that after a while they're like, oh, is that weird that I'm embarrassed to take him to my friend's (laughs) house or to take him to a party? Right. That's a problem. Right, (laughs) right. Just not being able to listen, uh, constantly talking about themselves. Yeah. And then on the other hand, look for those people that do, that can socialize, have a conversation with people in the room, that take interest in other people, that can look people in the eye that, you know, show genuine concern concern for others. Yeah. Sure. Those are the people that you're looking for. (laughs) I think so. You bet. Now, the next category is this idea of do they have goals and vision, drive, ambition? Some of our young single adults at the table that day, as we talked about these, uh, these issues, just brought up that, yeah, she became very aware that a young man that she had been dating, that, uh, she started to recognize that he slept in a lot. You know, he was waking up around noon, that he couldn't hold a job. He kept getting fired from his jobs. He just didn't seem really interested in accomplishing much in life. He didn't really know where he was going in terms of having a, a vision or a plan for the future. That was very unattractive to her is what yeah, she said. she would say he would he'd stay up all night playing video games, wouldn't go to class. So this cute girl realized very quickly that this was just not attractive to her and this was not a match. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so we had a good conversation with these kids about how important it is to find somebody, you know, who has goals and dreams and ambitions and, you know. Going places, yeah, right? going places. You know, another category that we've identified is spirituality. And I know that's not important for everyone, but for those who, for whom it is important, this is something that we want to address. And I'll share with you a quick experience that L. Alden Porter of the Quorum of the Seventy shared years ago, but he told of how when he was a missionary in the, I don't even know what it was called in those days, but I just know he was in Montana. And Elder Bruce R. McConkie was a brand new general authority years and years ago, and they were in the car with him driving across Montana. And the missionaries asked Elder McConkie a question. And the question was, Elder McConkie, how do we know whom we should marry? And I'm sure they were expecting some great counsel, some great advice. But Elder McConkie had them turn to Doctrine and Covenant section 88 verse 40. And one of the missionaries read, for intelligence cleaveth unto intelligence, wisdom receiveth wisdom, truth truth embraceth truth, virtue loveth virtue, light cleaveth unto light, mercy hath compassion on mercy, and claimeth her own justice, continueth its course, and claimeth its own, judgment goeth before the face of him who sitteth upon the throne, and governeth and executeth all things. Anyway, I know that if I was a missionary and that verse was read in the car while driving across Montana, I probably would have just scratched my head. But 
Credit to uh, those missionaries and Elder McConkie. He explained to them that if you are men who love virtue, who love the truth and embrace truth, find someone who feels the same way you do about virtue and truth. Mm, yeah. You know, if you if you love light and cleave to it, find someone else who loves light like you love light. Not only no, not only that application, but the application that we probably should become who we want to marry, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I love that because I think for me, going into a marriage, this is probably one of the biggies. This is one of the big categories. I can't imagine marrying someone who I was dragging along, begging to go to church, you know what I mean? Or right. didn't want to go to church on Sunday or anything like that. And so that was... I know when we got were engaged and that we were courting, that was one of the things that really impressed me is that you let out, that you love the church, you love the gospel as much as I did, that you were excited to go be on the front row of the fireside, that you were excited to go get tickets to General Conference and all those things that I watched and looked for, That that's what made me fall in love with you. That's what really impressed me. And I know for in our own life and our own children and their dating experiences, that's they've watched for that too and you can tell pretty quickly who's in who's all in and who's not who's maybe got one foot in one foot out and right well Janie, that's i mean obviously that's what impressed me about you as well so i'm glad that we found each other but <laughs> but yeah and so you know in my in the counseling work that i do and even in in church work i have met couples who have been married for a, a short time and find out that their spouse actually doesn't want to go to church, you know, or actually doesn't want to wear their garments or, or study the gospel. And that's, boy, that's hard. You want to, you want to learn those things, you know, long before you, you get engaged, especially if it's really important to you. Well, that's surprising to me that that never came up while you're dating. That was never a, you a know, question you or... didn't ever go to church together. You didn't go to firesides. You didn't talk about the gospel. You didn't go to the <laughs> temple. You know what I mean? All those things that right you that think so... would normally come up in a in a dating situation or an engagement time period. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just definitely something. You know, if if that's important to you, if the gospel is important to you, if Christ is important to you, if you're all in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to find someone who mirrors that, who is equal partners with you. If that doesn't matter to you, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right. But I think if if these things are important, you know, if they badmouth their mission or badmouth their mission president, they hated it. If they're badmouthing the prophet, if they're, you know, they have no interest in going or you think, oh, when we get married, that's going to get better. It's right. not. right. And so probably some really important discussions to have are not only about prayer and scripture study and service and temple attendance and things like that, but it's, in my mind, how do you feel about some of these things, right? It's going to that fireside together, but then talking about it after. It's reading scriptures and talking about after, trying to assess where someone is, once again, if that's important to you. And if it's not, then it's not, right? Yeah. And I think, I think talking and discussing and all that things are really, all those things are really important. But I think you really need to sit back and watch, like really watch what they do. Do they go to the temple on their own? Do they read their scriptures? Do they, you know, talk positively about gospel principles? Are they excited about the gospel? Do they, you know, talk positively about the prophets? 
commandments, things like that, or are they negative? Like those are things that you just sit back and watch because discussions and talking is one thing. <laughs> right. But observing I'm sure but is a I think whole they, different level. Right? right. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's wonderful. Because it is scary. Like, cause I think you have had so many experiences recently with one of the spouses bailing just after a few months of marriage or a couple of years of marriage. And it's really scary having to rebuild your whole foundation or trying to figure out how do I go forward now by myself? What, what, what does that mean for our children? What does our future look like? What does our eternity look like? This is a very serious category. I remember a few years ago, I counseled with a couple who, you know, I call it betrayal trauma. And we often use betrayal trauma to describe what happens with one spouse when another has an affair or becomes addicted to pornography. But I think betrayal trauma is just as significant when a spouse decides to to bail out of the church at some point. And I still remember this woman just sobbing and just saying, every dream that I've ever thought is never going to happen now. You know, she talked about, I dreamed that we would work in the temple together. I dreamed that we would go on missions together. I dreamed that we would, you know, and she had all these things that she dreamed about that were would, would never now come to pass. And so, yeah, this is a really big deal. So I'm glad that we were able to identify this category of, of spiritual things. You know, another category that we identified as mental health, you know, and the question here is not so much, are they mentally healthy? Are you mentally healthy, right? That's the first question we ask. But but if you are dating someone or getting serious with someone that has a mental health issue, the real question isn't, you know, whether they have that or not. The question is, is can you help them with that? You know, can you be a supportive spouse? And I remember a few years ago, uh, some some parents that we knew sent their daughter over to see me in a counseling setting because they recognized that the daughter was about to marry a young man with bipolar disorder. And they just wanted to make sure that she was okay and knew how to deal with that. And she and I talked for one session. We talked about what that would be like, maybe some of the positives and maybe a couple of the negatives, you know, that she would have to deal with. And she said, you know what? I can totally do that. I can do that. And uh, I know that today they're still very happily married. I think that was over 20 years ago now, but I think that's one of the key issues is, you know, if you do marry someone with a challenge in that area, are you equipped to help them, you know? And so questions, you know, do you or they live in fear? Do you or they have phobias? Are you depressed? Are they depressed or have anxiety or even some other mental health issues? And if so, yeah, once again, we're asking, can you help? Yeah. And that's not necessarily mean it's a deal breaker if, if people have have mental issues, some kind of mental health issue, health yeah. issues or whatever. But yeah, are you aware of that? Are they getting the help they need? And or do you understand the disease and can you help and support them? Yeah, think? or the disorder or the ailment or whatever it is. I think in a lot of people, they'd say, yeah, no problem. But I think there are people that would be like, no, I don't want to deal with that. And that's definitely a red flag and, and something that you really need to consider. I saw a couple a little while ago who that this was an issue. She, the, the well, one of the spouses just had some very severe mental health challenges, and the husband came in to see me because he was he was now having his own mental health crisis and knew that the marriage just was not healthy for either of them. And eventually, that that marriage ended. But that would have been something that you wouldn't have probably would have wanted to discover long before you got married, right? Right. I mean, and some things some, th- you can't. some things don't manifest till later or are triggered later on in life, and you can't do anything about that. But for those things that you do know going in, 
I think that's definitely an area that needs to be discussed. And right. Totally. Very clear. Have very clear expectations and and everything needs to be laid out on, you know, all cards out on the table. Now, here's another category, and I'm sure you're probably not surprised at this one, but addictions. You know, we talk about addictions now, and I'm actually convinced that all of us are probably addicted to something. Uh, but, of course, some addictions will be a little bit more profound <laughs> and significant than other ones. Like, I'm addicted to peanut M&Ms? Is that a <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be okay, probably. I don't know. Or be cereal at night before I go to bed. But we know that there are some that are really core. You know, an addiction to video games, an addiction to pornography, obviously an addiction to some kind of substance. You know, all of those would be would be challenges, and those things need to be talked about and discussed prior to marriage. No question about that. I think that there's – I've heard of so many women who go in either being lied to where yeah. their fiancé – and sorry, I'm I'm kind of throwing this on the men right now – but saying that, oh, no, I don't have a problem, only to find out – couple years later in the marriage that they have a major problem and have had a major problem and were kind of tricked into that and probably with you being a counselor I think you did kind of scare our daughter <laughs> we had probably did so yeah. many I mean we had a daughter who would ask literally on first or second date she's like hey do you do pornography are you yeah. a porn addict and probably terrify these poor young men but um that is a huge thing yeah that needs to be talked a about huge and, issue to be addressed and yeah and work through. Yeah. And, and once again, pr- you know, probably not on the first date at all, because you're not <laughs> going to probably get a straight story on that anyway. But once you recognize that this relationship has the potential to go into marriage and you're starting to head that direction, you want to address some of those things. I remember, you know, in, in one of my class, well, in my classes, you know, we, we talk about this issue, uh, the idea of sexual addictions. And One of the questions that came up a few years ago, because something that someone on the campus was teaching was that the only thing that you can really ask your future spouse is is if they have a current temple recommend. That's all you can ask. And I remember when I heard that, I thought that is that sounds that's so wrong. There's that can't be right. I I hope no one was saying that with a straight face because in my mind, if you're going to link yourself for all eternity you know, to this person, and they're going to link themselves to you, there needs to be some full transparency, right? And you need to be able to ask any question that needs to be asked. We took a vote in that class, and we had a way to do it electronically. And it was about 50-50. Should you share with your future spouse any of your previous sexual problems, transgressions, addictions, whatever? It was about 50-50, you know, uh, because I, I know that there are some that feel like, hey, if you're repentant of that, there's no need to share that. And others feel like, no, that's that's how, you, how you're honest. But uh, because the class was kind of 50-50, and by the way, when I do that now, it's always 100 to 0. Almost everyone believes that you need to be transparent and, and share whatever those transgressions were. And once again, not in a weird way. This looks like, hey, you know what? A few years ago, I had this problem. I worked through it with a bishop. It's not a problem now. But I want it to be honest with you and, and open. I don't think it has to be in any gory details, but you do have to answer those questions for that person. But anyway, back to the story. A girl stood up in our class and said, could I tell you all a story? And we said, sure. I said, sure. And she said, my sister married a return missionary here at BYU. She thought she was marrying this wonderful, incredible person. 
About two years after their marriage, it came out that he was addicted to pornography. Another year after that, it came out that he was actually addicted to sex. And then another year after that, it came out that he was having multiple affairs with multiple women. And that that marriage ended in divorce. And this girl in our class telling the story said, my sister now has three or four children. I can't remember what, if it was three or four. But she has, you know, several children. And uh, our parents are on a mission. And so she's, uh, you know, the ward is having to help take care of her kids while she works, you know, a menial job because she's no longer married to this person. But had my sister known all those things about this guy, she would have never, never married him in the first place. You know, so that's how crucial this discussion is on any kind of addiction, really. Right. And if if people think that this problem's going to go away once you're married, especially the addiction of pornography, that is not going to happen. Very rare, right? I mean, I, I see in my counseling practice that it, if anything, it almost accentuates it sometimes. You right. Know? So, yeah, so that's a great, this is a great area to probe, you know, regarding addictions. Now, this one's deep, and so it probably isn't happening until you're getting closer to this idea of, you know, are we going to get married or not? But it's something that has to be brought up. That's for sure. And I don't think that men should get all the rap on this. We statistics show that women now are increasingly viewing pornography. We've read some studies where it's actually up to 50 to 60% of women now are viewing pornography, pornography every week. So statistically, that's probably going to bleed into the church too. So sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not just a man problem anymore. Yeah. Well, what I think is a great indicator to look for is humility. And I, I share that because I've also had students, usually females, come into my office and say, look, the guy that I'm about to marry, he's my fiance, uh, but I found out that he's got the, he has this pornography problem. What's your advice? And I always tell him, look, if he's humble about that, if he's meek and humble and teachable, and it's something that he wants to work on and that he is working on, I think that's a great sign. If if they're more belligerent or opposed to getting help or would say, I would never go to counseling for that, then I'd be a little bit nervous about that relationship. So, Mark, that reminded me of that chapter in Mosiah with King Benjamin. Yeah. In Mosiah 4, 29 and 30, where he's talking about, you know, there are so many diverse ways and means, you know, that we can sin that we can't number them. And that, um, you know, tells us to watch ourselves, our thoughts, words, deeds, you know, commandments, things like that. And, that, and as you're talking, I thought of that scripture because we could sit here all day. We could sit here and do a 10-hour podcast on every single <laughs> every red, red flag, every, red flag yeah. you know, or good things and bad things that we see in other people. Sure. But um, we can't do that. You know, we've, we've talked about a few different categories. And I think it's, again, King Benjamin's words that we just, you know... We need to watch. We need to be observant. We need to um, watch watch other people's words and deeds, how they act and stuff. And that's how we judge whether they're marriage material or anything like that. So yeah, no, I think that's great. I think that's great counsel. That's a great that's a great scripture. Sometimes when we talk about red flags, you know, and warnings, one of the things that I worry about is that it sounds like we're making getting finding someone to marry and marrying so difficult. And it doesn't really have to be that way either. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, finding someone that you're attracted to, that you are in love with, that you admire, and and falling in love and marrying, right? But these are things that we have to look for. We, like you said, Janie, we can't bury our head in the sand. 
And so we want to look for the signs, so to speak, both good and bad, right? We're trying to evaluate and make a, make a decision that's going to affect the rest of our life and everything in our lives. Right. This is, marriage is just such a huge decision that I know with our children, we really tried to arm them. We tried to prepare them. We tried to educate them so that they could go into marriage with a full knowledge, you know, of the good and the bad and what kind of they were dealing with. Right. Because marriage is hard enough. <laughs> you don't need to go in blindsided and be like, whoa, I didn't know any of that. I was getting myself into this situation. So right. that was kind of our philosophy as parents. But everyone's so different. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's That was how we did it. And so, so when it comes to, well, let me just share one other thought. But this is why the spirit is so crucial in the decisions that we make and, and why living by the spirit and making decisions with spiritual prompting, you know, spiritual answers are is just crucial because the Spirit is going to lead us in the right direction. So parents, a lot of this is teaching our children how to receive those answers from the Spirit. When it comes to let's do something today, the invitation that we'd like to give, maybe a couple, whatever fits you and your situation right now, maybe it's as simple as sharing this podcast with someone who's in a serious relationship and they're trying to make some decisions. Maybe it's as simple as parents deciding that, you know what, we do have a child that's in a serious relationship. We've really never said a word one way or the other. We ought to try to uh, have a discussion with them and let them talk about some of the good and the bad and even the good and bad in themselves. Anyway, I mean, so there's a lot of different ways that we can approach this topic, but it should be approached. That's the lesson today is let's talk about some of these things. Well, thanks for joining us in this episode. We know this was kind of have a heavy one. This was this is a big not one. Light and light and, and airy, but <laughs> we hope you'll join us next time as we're gonna kind of flip it and we're gonna talk about how to know they they're the one and how to know how to know if you're in love. How right? to know if you're in love. So that'll be more upbeat and more fun. But <laughs> I think you have to have both sides, right? <laughs> we had to dig into the dirt a little bit today, so forgive us for that. But we look forward to being with you next time. Have a great, wonderful week. Thank you.